0: How do you view yourself in relationship to Johnny?
1: A foil? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I was just, you know, I was uh, the other guitar player, something like that. I I, I was more. I had more technique than he did because uh, I, I played different styles, but John was unique because he, he played one style, but he stood out. It, it, it was instantly recognizable. If you heard my guitar, you might not be able to distinguish it from, you know, a, a hundred other players or what like that. Um, I I love being on stage with him because you know I could do what I want, jump up and down, you know, curse and scream, and you know, make jokes about him. He'd make jokes about me. We would go back and forth. Um, you were a good team. Yeah, yeah. We, we sort of got along. I mean, in those years, we got along, even when we were, you know, the drugs got in the way or what have you. It was, only, you know, the, he only left the band after you know a couple of guys in England started whispering in his ear. But in later years, we would get, we would always get together even after the band broke up in 77 or or 78 it was we would still get together for max's reunion so all through the 80s we we would get together once or twice a year at different clubs uh, mostly max's and do the reunion because if john was back in town he needed money the best way to make money was play a gig with the heartbreakers because Uh the heartbreakers would always bring more people in as a foursome than johnny would bring in as a solo act or what have you so it was just you know the numbers working
2: Let's do this. I said I was going to chat. Let me do it. Gonna you and
0: I get together. It's kind of hard not to.
2: I know. Right. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll still do it. We'll do it. In the All right. Welcome, everyone. This is That Record Got Me High. I am your host, Rob Elba, and we're here again. And I'm really excited tonight because I have a guy that's on that i'm just i I just in a way uh, this is why i feel like this is why i made this podcast so i could have people like (laughs) like this come on the show and talk to them about records so without further ado i'd like to introduce uh, my guest tonight mr jack Rabbit. welcome to the show jack hi
0: rob i'm actually gonna plug in a a uh, Mike Okay, Please, good. Um, you do microphone. your
2: you do your thing because I'm going to blow a little smoke up your ass. I'm going to introduce you. Uh, you know him okay. as the founder, editor, and publisher of the 40 years running New York Music Magazine, The Big Takeover. Uh, his writing has appeared in Spin, Interview, All Music Guide, Trouser Press, Record Guide, Cream, Village Voice, Maximum Rock and Roll. I could literally go on and on. I could list another 20 uh,
0: <laughs> publications. <laughs> Been a busy bee for forty years. Yeah.
2: Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that because uh, uh, he's the host of the uh, big takeover show on RealPunkRadio.com every Monday. Now you've been doing this every Monday. I'm really proud of you because I honestly I thought oh he isn't gonna keep that up. <laughs>
0: 372 straight weeks and counting. It,
2: it, it's a lot of work, but uh, yeah, you do it. Uh, and he's also drummed for uh, early '80s punks even worse. Uh, he played with the Leaving Trains last burning embers springhouse and apparently he's a singer now too <laughs> if you if you listen to his
0: show i singer. make people listen to that that's like I'm torture sorry. It's great. in the Geneva Convention.
2: <laughs> no, no, I, I like it. I think I told you a couple of weeks back you did one. Oh, Neil Young. You did the Neil Young, and it was uh, touching. It was
0: kind of touching. Uh, there were children crying and colors flying all around the chosen ones. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, um, the torture is sweet instead of horrific. <laughs> right,
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, so. Oh, so All right, so Jack, first of all, you. I, I don't think it's a coincidence the record you picked to talk about, which let's, all right, let's get it out of the way. What, what are we going to talk about tonight? What's a record we're talking
0: about? Well, it's Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers as opposed to Tom Petty's. Yeah. Uh, live at Max's Kansas City.
2: Right. And I was thinking, Jack, because I, I know both times uh, when you were on the show before, you you had a whole bunch of records because obviously you could pick probably 200 records you could pick that got you high easily, right? Um, yeah. But the record you did, uh, the first record was what? It was. Hey, um, Lewis, live, D. At the Lewis live at the
3: Star Club. You better open up, honey, get your lover boy, me, that's knocking. You better listen to me, sugar, roll the kettle, high rock it. Oh
2: my now God! You pick, is that amazing? Yep, and now you pick <laughs> another live album. So I don't think that's a, I don't think that's an accident for you because, first of all, you're you're probably the per- I think you've probably seen the person I know that has seen more shows than probably anyone I know.
0: I've met people who've seen more, believe it or not. Oh, well, you probably
2: have, but I don't think I. <laughs> yeah, and I've
0: I've slowed down since the kids were born in right. two thousand eight and two thousand eleven. Right. Can't just stick the kids with the wife all the time.
2: Okay, so now one other uh, thing for my theory though: Did you ever get to see the heartbreak, or did you did you? Did yeah, because I, I think we're around the same age, so I don't think so. It's not possible, right?
0: Uh, I'm sorry, you. Have, we have a copy of our home game for you, and a year supply of Eskimo pie because that answer is not correct. <laughs> oh. You've been a great contestant. Let's give him a big hand. Wait, so what I you, saw them like twenty times. Oh, uh, okay, but
2: th- when was the first time you saw them, though?
0: 1979.
2: Oh, okay. All right. So only well, a year
0: after this record was recorded, and right about the time it you released.
2: Okay. All right. Well, so you, you weren't at the at this show at the Maxis Kansas City show as well. Um,
0: I would have liked to have been. Of My course. parents didn't allow me to see any concerts until I was 16
2: right oh yeah that's right because you started going to shows really young that's that's right so
0: um uh, no my my son is only 14 he's seen 20 concerts already
2: of course he has well so yeah, he's, I, he's
0: I, way ahead of where i was i'd seen zero
2: right well don't it's not a competition jack just so you know
0: so don't it one... is that damn kid of mine <laughs> i'm gonna kill him <laughs> he's seen undertones of the buzzcocks <laughs> the bastard
1: you oh, yeah,
0: <laughs> He's be been going and Paul McCartney for God's sake. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, those, you he know, gets what? around that boy. I don't
2: know though. Shows they're so expensive now though. I don't know. I don't know how people. I I
0: know. He's lucky. His dad gets him on the list.
2: Ah, uh, all right, all right. Well, that's all right. That's a whole different story. All right. So the point I was making though is that Al, even though you obviously have so many records that you'd love. Records hold a special spot because I'm I'm in some. This is a, this is something that you wish you would have been at, just like the Jerry Lewis at the Star Club. Imagine if you could have been there for that, and this also, oh, like, yeah. So it's like shows I, that. I you, what you mean. Yeah, yes, yeah. so shows you listen to, and you're like, you know, because obviously you you love going to shows and you love seeing bands, and this is, and that's the great thing about this record is that it's just it's just so rock and roll, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and it really is Max's Kansas City too. It's both. It's right. It's both the Heartbreakers and it's Max's Kansas City. Right. Usually, when you get a record from a venue, you don't really think that much of the venue. You know, you think more like, oh, this is a really good recording. But the atmosphere of that club seeps through this live album like none I've ever heard. Ah, oh, Haven't okay. been, been to Max's Kansas City probably a hundred times in the three years that I was able to attend it before it closed. Right and having played there i played there uh seven times
2: oh did you really
0: i think it was seven it might be six all with even worse oh okay oh wow we were scheduled to play the week after it closed in fact or it would have been one more really our, it, our gig got canceled
2: is there an even worse live at Maxis, kansas city
0: <laughs> there is um our only album actually is half studio and half at live in Madison's Kansas City, oh, it is like, August, oh, wow. August 27th, 1981.
3: I don't give a damn, I don't fucking care. I'm gonna kill my mama dad and pull out my hair. I am better with the doll in the human race. I'm gonna cut my liver out and shove it in your face. It
0: was in December 81. Oh, wow. So it was our uh, second to last performance there. Nice of you to even care about any of this stuff of mine. <laughs> All
2: right, so. Th- uh, the the cool thing about this is that L.A.M. their their one studio record never at least the vinyl never really sounded that good. So it, it, I, I feel like this was a curse of a lot of New York punk bands that they were cursed with their their records never did justice to how they really were live. The, the Dead Boys the same thing, you know the the Dead Boys yeah
0: thing. and the New York Dolls too. Right. It seems like every band of that era, with the exception of the Ramones. Who played really hard, loud, raucous, uh, dirty-sounding music, as opposed to like the cleaner sound of Television and Talking Heads, or the more polite sound of Blondie? Ended up with these endless complaints right. about what little they were able to lose. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: And and it's funny. I read a really. I was reading uh, about walter uh Lure, and i read a, a really good quote from him he said they were probably better off that uh that the record lamf didn't sound better because if, if it had actually sounded great and sold well they probably would have been de- all dead like three years later because <laughs> they would have had more money to buy more drugs
0: yeah that's true yeah. in fact uh they broke up in florida didn't they yeah that's right <laughs> york, well the new york dolls did anyway yeah. um because two of them couldn't get the drugs they wanted.
2: Yeah. Malcolm McLaren, like, threw him down. Like, what, the, what a nut, man. Because, you know,
0: Florida yeah. was just, like, the epicenter of proto-punk, right? In, <laughs> no. in 1975 I or no, whatever.
2: I, I have no idea what he was thinking. Um, but that's... <laughs> that. All right, so, Jack, this is one... Of, but Before we get into the record, this is one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Because much like me, I'm sure you, much like me, probably more you, we've grown up, we've known people, we've had friends... That have, you know, been involved with drugs Some of them made it through A lot of them didn't, never made it through Some of them never You, I, I don't know I don't want to get too personal with you But I don't think, you've never had an issue with drugs You've never had like a
0: drug thing I've right? never taken any Right, I know, and me, and I'm the same way Except alcohol, but that's right. you know, the legal uh, Well,
2: yeah, exactly So
0: i got gotten fairly drunk with you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true
2: <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I guess Had
0: some Indonesian joint that so shall go unnamed.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you. Go. Oh yeah, exactly. All right, so here's <laughs> the uh, here's the question: Is do you think do you think this this band could have existed and this record could exist if it wasn't I mean do the drugs you know I don't know what's the what's the answer as far as the drugs being a part of the whole thing because obviously you get you know the, you, you get a great band and 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 they play together and, and it's so rock and roll but everything's a part of it the mystique's part of it the, the way they dress the way they acted that's all part of it
0: yeah well now you're talking about image and mystique is really a really great word so i'll compliment you on that because i think that's really what it gave them right but um i think i had this great discussion with tony kenman from the dills right around the time that rank and file formed and we were he was i was a budding country music fan even as much of a punk rocker as i was at that time and i thought it was amazing they were playing country music these punk rocker guys right yeah. and i liked it and I had, I had bought like 20 or 30 country albums at that time. And so we started talking about George Jones. And I said, I really like George Jones, but I only have like, you know, one of his albums and I want to buy more. And every time I go into the record store, there's like 85 George Jones albums in the bin. So I just get flustered and don't know what to buy. Right. And so what should I buy? And he said, well, just buy anything where he's got a cool cut. are in
3: North Carolina, we're back in the hill, my old Fabiani. Till the song went down and then you
0: fill him a jug and he'd pass it passes around. Mighty, mighty season, pass it <laughs> he was right. He was so right. And part of it is because it was before George Jones became such a tremendous alcoholic. Uh, okay. But also because, you know, uh, as it was the case with a lot of country music, it got a little softer as Nashville became, you know, more, you know, prone to the big grandiose production and whatnot. But the discussion led to the idea of what what do you do with George Jones without the alcohol? How much of his mystique was right. that he was drunk? Right. You know, George, uh, Hank Williams with his problems with pills and booze, right. dying like 29 or whatever. And Tony, you know, I was a young man at the time, not like now. And he really turned my head. He said, you know, that stuff, it's just image. It doesn't really help you. They, a lot of people think I have to take drugs. I have to drink. Right. I won't be creative. And that's a lie because plenty of people create lots of great things without those stimulus. Yeah, yeah. And in in fact, they're more likely to be an impediment and produce produce less music and less art and less creativity. So the late Tony Kinman, I tip my hat to you. I think they would have been great anyway is the short answer here. Yeah. They were incredible musicians with incredible attitudes. The trouble is for people who are younger than us, if there's anyone listening, is they cannot remember the extent that drugs themselves were considered an enormously cool aspect of the rock and roll scene of the late 60s and early 70s. Right. Yeah, 70s. It,
2: it was glamorized. It's very glamor, And in a way... And you everybody
0: know, was doing it. And there, I didn't right, go to yeah. a single gig where I didn't see people doing drugs or drinking heavily. Right. It right, just wasn't right. done. I mean, this straight edge thing that came along with hardcore, I used to laugh at it because I thought it was an overreaction, but I yeah. sort of... <laughs> You know, I I sort of thought, well, I suppose that's better than just like, you know, ending up in the gutter as a a complete drug waste case. It is. Yeah, right, right. And at least least these people can make records anytime they want.
2: Right, right. Because I know, I mean, it obviously got a bad. So you, if if you ended up seeing them a lot, you probably saw some like really great gigs, and you probably saw some uh, train wreck shows too. I imagine. Not with the Heartbreakers,
0: oddly. Really? I think this is some. I said this even when I was twenty. That Iggy Pop and Johnny Thunders had this in common, is that they were incredible performers, but if they had terrible backing bands, they they still couldn't be any good. Oh, right. right, right. they had great backing bands, even if they were trying to be bad. They just couldn't.
2: They couldn't, right.
0: <laughs> they couldn't. Because the band is so hot that you can't help it. Okay. you know, it, It's going to inspire a performance in you, even if you think you're going to mail it in tonight. Right. Or that you're really ambivalent. Yeah. You're just going to yeah. get caught in the wave. And that band was just awesome, even without Johnny. Because I saw them without Johnny. Uh, there was a night when Johnny left between, they used to do two shows at night. And Max is at ten o'clock and one o'clock on the weekends. And the opening band would play both shows. So the opening band would play at ten and one and the headliner at like eleven and two, right? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so there was this one gig where Peter Crowley, the guy who booked the place, told me this great story of what had happened is that he had paid them in in heroin and John Johnny just went home. And he, like, called up and was taunting Peter, saying, like, I'm not coming back. Ha, ha, you sucky, you know? (laughs) And so, like, he's like, well, I got Walter right here. I don't think Walter's going to want to hear that, you know, because I'm not going to pay you for the second show. Oh, right. You know, I assume you're going to play here again someday. (laughs) You're not going to like this. And Walter goes, like, fuck that. I want to play. You know, get your butt back over here, Johnny. And Johnny's like, no, I'm not going to play. And he goes, fine, we'll play without you.
2: Oh, God. I would and love to hear that. cover. Break, Could exactly. you imagine that conversation?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Peter Crowley was like, fine.
2: Right.
0: And sure enough, they only made it like three songs into the show before Johnny came slinking back, holding his guitar case. Oh, nice. The crowd. <laughs> Just plugged in and no one said anything. Like, right. You know, right. and Father Walter said, like, good of you to make it or something like that.
2: That's awesome.
0: Something really snide. Right. And they sounded great even without Johnny, but Johnny was like an X factor, you know, he was like, um, he was much more unhinged than them. The three of them were just this really tight band, despite being kind of loose. Right, it was an oxymoron. They were a tight, loose band.
2: So who was and, playing drums, when you saw them at that time, who was playing drums?
0: Yeah, I never did see them with tie Sticks. I saw them entirely with Uh, Jerry Nolan oh okay
2: yeah because Jerry Nolan came back eventually but explain to everyone what happened like when they recorded this particular show it was like one of their I guess once they came they they played a whole bunch of reunion farewell shows because whenever they needed money they would always they were like a guarantee people would always come to see them right so they they
0: yeah we used to line up about 6 o'clock 7 o'clock even though they weren't opening the doors till 10
2: wow because
0: that would guarantee us a place in the first third of the club which is where you wanted to be right there was a stairwell a third of the way back in the club where the waitresses would go up and down with orders from the kitchen downstairs. And the sound booth was up against that. And if you were behind that, it was nowhere near as loud or as good or as clear. Okay. And you were you, you felt a little more cut off from the stage and what was going on there. So we always had to be in the first third of the club, which meant that we got there early and just sat against the wall of the bank waiting, waiting for them to open the doors. <laughs> wow. We just sit there and talk for four hours, and eventually they would let us in.
2: Right. So this was with Billy Rath uh, on bass, and then a uh, Ty. Yeah. So uh, Ty Sticks, <laughs> which I'm sure on,
0: on the live album, yes. <laughs> right. Ty Sticks right. is there any wonder that I took a name like Jack Rabbit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting people named Cheetah Chrome and Johnny Thunders and right and Ty Sticks and all these people.
2: It's it's uh, stuck though, Jack. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, unlike John Lydon, you know, I never tried to ch- change it back. Right, I was perfectly happy with the name I'd chosen.
2: <laughs>
0: I'll um, always be Johnny Rotten anyway.
2: So this intro, the record, it's, it starts out with the with the intro they used to play when you were seeing them. Were they still using that same intro? Yes, it sounds crazy.
0: <laughs> and uh, I'll explain to you too is that the lights would go out, and so it'd be pitch black, dark with only like the beer signs lighting up anything. Right. You knew the band was there because you saw them walk by you on the way to the stage. There was no backstage next to the stage. The backstage was upstairs. So they would just walk right past all the tables with their guitar cases. You'd see them go. But then they'd dis- disappear behind the curtain. The stage had a curtain, a big black curtain. And then what would happen is they would they would take off the jukebox, put on that uh, intro tape, which sounded like Hitler's stormtroopers. Yeah, marching, it's like scary. It's like
2: terrifying. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was like they were coming down 17th Street, you know, and coming right up the stairs. Right. Like, my God, they're flooding Union Square with these, like, Nazi stormtroopers. And I think it was Hitler's doing a speech, you know, and air raid sirens. And and it would just really kind of get your blood boiling. Right. And then the band would start playing without opening the curtain. Oh, wow. um, (laughs) So, about 10 seconds after they'd start the song, the curtains would be flung open and the light from the stage would hit you right and there would be the right. band and like almost immediately johnny would start singing right unless they opened the pipeline which was an instrumental in which case you would just see him you know doing his crazy leads that he was doing up the neck right. <laughs> i thought wow. i was 17 you know i was really impressed
2: yeah
3: I'm still impressed I'm uh, Right Yeah I'm, I know What are you talking yeah, about Yeah even
0: thinking sad. back it now I never saw a guy do that You know on the guitar of than right. Dick Dale <laughs> He must have seen A Dick Dale concert And said I, I can do that Right
2: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on this uh, on this record, yes, yeah, so you got the intro, which I was playing. I'll play that. I'll put that under in the back. But then uh, and then they open up with this song, "Milk Me," which I guess originally it was uh, a chatterbox on the New York Dolls on "Too Much Too Soon."
0: That's correct, and it was given a different name when Johnny did it on his first solo album, which was called um, "Leave Me Alone." Oh, okay. So <laughs> the same song with three different titles.
2: Nice. All right. Well, now we're gonna call it "Milk Me." Here we go. Right there, just from the start, man. Jack, like I was saying, it's just so rock and roll.
0: Oh, my God, I was dying. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I was still in high school. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, so that's... And and the thing is, you could... I don't know... I don't know what... uh there weren't hardly any bands like that, right? Especially then. I mean, because uh, I think even when uh, when like the New York Dolls went to uh, England and stuff, all these English bands, I, I I know they would say like Johnny Thunders, they all knew that like he was the the real deal. Like so, you know, there were fakers and there were guys that sort of you know put on an act, but he was someone that just like he couldn't help it, right? It was just it was just in his blood and in his soul, and it was like
0: well, the New York Dolls had toured. In England,
2: right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, like, that's it, like, where
0: Billy Mercia died. Their original drummer.
2: That's right, yeah, and like, in like early seventies, like seventy-three, yeah. right? They yeah. were
0: actually much better loved there than they were here. I mean, they had a big cult following in America.
2: Right,
3: right. And a cult yeah. following
0: in America mean, means Deadly Squad. Right. Whereas in England, it's not quite a lot because it's such a smaller pond. Was, I mean, like a, like a gold record in England was a hundred thousand. Here right. was five hundred thousand. You know what I mean? So to make the charts there to be a big deal in the press was a little easier. Plus, you could tour the entire island of England in three weeks without ever taking a drive longer than an hour or two. Which you couldn't do here, so you'd have the same people coming to every show. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, I was reading
2: uh, Malcolm McLaren said he'd like fell in love with them he would kind of follow them around like a groupie once he he saw them he would follow wherever they were playing yeah oh yeah that
0: that was really helpful i mean they he was already kind of legendary as had been a pioneer to this thing that they started to do um like howard devoto he was a, a guy who'd seen the new york dolls and had quite an interest in that right even Morrissey, you know, he used to do a New York Dolls fanzine. Right? Oh,
2: yeah, he, he loved the New York Dolls. Yeah, he was yeah. Fancy.
0: I mean, he used to
1: do a fanzine
0: you know, <laughs> before he was, you know, a singer or anything. Right, right. Which is how he got the New York Dolls to uh, reform. It was Morrissey who did that. Right. I mean, even as much as I hate the guy in these days. I'll give him credit for that. He made uh, Arthur Kane a very happy man. Right. <laughs> And I, I think Sylvain Sylvain said he had a really good time playing with David again and Arthur and even keeping the band going after Arthur died. Yeah, that's cool. And yeah, no, that's nice, cause
2: especially because you know it came from a total fan, you know, fan that loved the band so much with all his time. Right, band, you know, and he had enough crew.
0: cachet that when he asked him to do it, it gave him a reason. Yeah, exactly. And I got to see that version of the New York Dolls four or five times and heartily enjoyed it. Oh, nice. every time they did Trash or something like that or Puss in Boots, I was really a happy man.
2: Right.
0: Having seen the Heartbreakers, you know, for me it was like um, I'd seen a younger, better version of the New York Dolls in a way. Right. Not, I mean, let's face it, the New York Dolls and the Heartbreakers were in many respects the same band. In many respects they weren't, but uh, like some of the material there, we just saw a perfect example. Milk Me was a New York Dolls song. Right. One of the few that Johnny Thunders had sung. Right. Because of what would, you know, David Johansson do? Well, Tommy was singing. I the tambourine. Right? Yep. <laughs> Thanks. But um, there were other ones too. Like Walter had a song called uh, Too Much Junkie Business, which isn't on the regular version of this album. I think it's on like the CD bonus track or something. Right. And that was just the New York Dolls cover of Pills by Bo Diddley with the words changed. <laughs>
2: Right. <laughs> or, or less. Right. I mean, it, well, they would do that. They would play fast and loose with a lot of, uh, especially on this. One One fun thing about this is the way they play fast and loose, with throwing in uh, the lyrics. Uh, and they definitely do it on this next one here. So let's listen to it and then we'll talk about it. So let's listen to their version of Chinese you. Jack what's the Ramone wrote this but I guess originally the Ramones didn't want to do it because it was uh it was too much (laughs) of a drug song
0: Uh, it didn't quite sound like them did it
2: But, uh, all right, Jack, I know you're, you're going to agree with me wholeheartedly because I always feel like Dee Dee never gets as much recognition as just being a songwriter, like being one of the great rock and roll songwriters. Oh, sure. But right? that's
0: the fault of people who don't look at the credits on records. Right, right, right. You know, people always just assume the singer wrote everything or yeah. something.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and it, I mean, like, like when you tried to explain Glenn Matlock's position in the Sex Pistols, You know, people thought, oh, he was just extraneous or something. He was just the bass player.
2: Yeah. And then you
0: have to point out to them that he wrote most of their songs. Yeah.
2: And all the really good ones.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, good or bad, when he left, he took their prime songwriting. Um, vehicle away right. with him.
2: Um, yeah, just the lyrics. The uh, plaster's falling off the wall. My girlfriend's crying in the shower stall. It's hot as a bitch. I should have been rich, but I'm just digging this Chinese ditch. That's such great lyrics. I mean, it's just so good. Well, he yeah,
0: had a wry sense of humor, DD. Yes. Um, mind you, when I first heard the Heartbreakers doing that song, both on record and live, I didn't know it was a Ramon song. Right. Because they hadn't recorded it, like you said. And the credit that I saw said D.D. Dee Dee Ramone, I think Johnny Thunder's Walter Lure. Right. So I assumed it was just one of those, you know, junkie nights where they were all hanging out together and they wrote the song together.
2: Yeah. I think Richard Hell also added his name in there at some point. <laughs> it takes some credit. <laughs> yeah, of course,
0: Walter Lure had some really d- horrible things to say about Richard when I interviewed him three years ago, just before he died. Oh, really? Yeah. Said he was always trying to, like, you know, elbow Walter out of the 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 job basically
2: well that kind of happened well that kind of happened with the with the heartbreakers right that's why he left right because didn't he kind of want to? didn't he like not want like say johnny oh well you can only sing like two songs and walter you could sing i say
0: walter you can only play sing so many songs it's mine and mine and johnny's band but even then he was trying to kind of lord it over johnny right right right. (laughs) i mean yeah i mean well richard hell he got thrown out of two of the most influential bands of the mid nineteen seventies without staying either in either one for longer than a short while. You right? have to wonder why. Yeah. Why why did he get the boot more or less, both from television and Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers? Yeah. Because yeah. what he really needed to do was lead his own band. Right. Like that right. he did quite well. Yeah. Probably should have done that right from the get-go.
2: Right, 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 right. Uh yeah, I know, because you think like, how do you get kicked out of a band like the Heartbreakers? you know, but
0: <laughs> or, or more or less it almost sounds like they broke up and then just decided, hey, the real problem is Richard. Let's just go on with him. <laughs>
2: right, right. And I think, I mean, Richard L's a a, a a good bass player. He's a fine bass player. But Billy Rath, I'm like listening to this um, and really listening to him. Man, he was great. He was a he was a monster bass player.
0: Yeah. And again, I was very surprised when I interviewed Walter when he just con- continuously put him down. Not as a musician, but as a person. Oh, who are you talking about? Uh, Richard Heller? Or, or, uh, 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 Billy Rath. Oh, really? <laughs> he had a nickname for him. God, I, I've forgotten what it was. It was something like Numb Nuts or Numb Skull or Dumbass or something like that. He thought, here it was like 2018, 2019. I'm interviewing Walter Lure, and he quite freely kept calling him this this really bad nickname for the poor guy. And he was of course uh-huh. dead by then, but I, I thought Raph was very good. You're right.
2: I think he's a, yeah, I think he's a monster bass player.
0: I think uh, the whole band was incredible. Yeah. In of, yeah. And, and there were great musicians.
2: And, and that's, what's great about listening to, uh, you know, just something like this when, when a band's caught on a hot night, you know, and, and, and with the crowd and everything, it's like, it's, it's kind of the, the only way to, to to listen to bands like this, because, you know, in the studio, it's like so hard. It's, it's like never going to be the same, you know, it's, never Uh going to be uh, you know
0: well they didn't do so badly you know for all the for all the stick that lamf has taken and for all the mixes and remasterings and original tape and the visual this you know i've always liked the record anyway and i thought some of it sounded really really good i guess Uh, i guess
2: like especially
0: born to lose i thought sounded fine
2: Yeah, I guess later they realized it wasn't because they kept trying to remix it and they realized it wasn't the mix. It was just the transfer to vinyl that got that something happened and it got muddy sounding. I guess that's. the Yeah,
0: I mean, here we go. It's just like uh, raw power from the Stooges. Where where do we isolate the place where it went wrong if it did? I know. (laughs) And uh, in that case, it wasn't the mix. It was the engineering. Oh, okay. And Bowie, I think David Bowie did his best that could be done with the engineering he was presented with. Right, right, right. Um, or maybe if he was producing it from the get-go, um, maybe he should have been a little more you know, on it to make the engineer do a better job, but you can't remix an album. No, <laughs> and no. can make it better if it was misengineered. Right. But if it was perfectly well-engineered, which is, again, this is technical talk for some people because they don't know this like we do, whoever is in charge of setting up the mics and getting the music to come through the console, in the best sounding way, they've given you the raw material. And then from there, you can mix it and then master it and then plate it, <laughs> you right. know, and, and and stamp it and, you know, mass produce it. There's a few things that go on between the, the guy playing the guitar and the guy singing and the guy playing the keyboard or whatever, and you hearing it in your home stereo. Yep. So I think in the in the Heartbreakers case, I think you're right. It wasn't really misengineered. So there was an opportunity to isolate it a little further down Food chain and find A better version they could make out of it Right, And they did, some of the modern versions Do sound to me better
2: Yeah, Uh, I I, I think so, but I just think I know, well that's one of the reasons uh, Cherry Nolan left, because he was just disgusted But it must have been disheartening, because then they Hear the uh, sex pistols, never mind the balls Comes out, and that sounds fucking great Amazing, you know yeah Uh
0: Well, they had Chris Thomas and Bill Price working on that. And if you look at the uh, discography page of those two guys, you find stuff going back to the Beatles. You know, in Chris Thomas's case, they had worked with some of the best musicians and made some of the best records already. I don't know if Speedy Keen was really the best guy to be producing the Heartbreakers, for starters. (laughs) And second of all, I don't think he did a bad job even. You know, there were certainly worse people you could pick. Yeah, But, you know, signing to the Who's label when the Who had their own problems to deal with in the late 1970s, right uh, about a year before Keith Moon died, you know, I don't think they really had quite the stewardship that the Sex Pistols would have on virgin or emi or a right or that the clash would have on on cbs
2: <laughs> all right so now we got walter lure oh, oh, walter lure song uh, him singing let's listen to get o- And I, I just love the way they introduced these songs too it's just it's, yeah it's just, that was
0: always a highlight <laughs>
2: it's so great get off the fucking phone <laughs> oh, no.
3: this is get off the fucking phone
2: Walter Lure. And, and so Walter Lure was, was the one guy that kind of cleaned, like, cleaned himself up, right? And ended up having like a uh, a uh, life and everything after the Heartbreakers.
0: Yeah, kn- I knew the story, but it was fun having him tell it again. That in like uh, something like 87 or so, he just decided to quit cold turkey. No more heroin after like eight years of it, nine years of it or 10 years of it or whatever. Right. And he said he had a hell, absolutely hell couple of months. Oh, yeah. And it was just torture, but eventually uh, he got over the hump and he just never did it again, ended up being a quite wealthy stockbroker. I know, right? Good but for him, though. Still doing you know, first Heroes and then Waldo's gigs Waldo's, right to yeah. the end and not any different. They didn't seem like any different Walter or still with the crazy jackets and the crazy. Right. Guy. Right.
2: Yeah. He did some shows down here with, um, a uh, Charlie Pickett, I think even played with him uh, a couple times. Uh, they came down yeah. and he it.
0: for a while there. I had a closet of something like 10 or 12 polka dot shirts. And that was my homage. <laughs> To the great Walter <laughs> dress nice. set. You know, only I never wore the ties. I drew the line there. And I didn't have quite the cool jackets that he had either. So
2: you mentioned the sense of humor they had. And this next song, uh, London Boys, I mean, Thunder's, he wrote it uh, as what? Like, why did the. You... <laughs> What is it, it an answer to?
0: Oh, it's an answer to New York by the Sex Pistols.
2: Right. And and then quite, what does he... Quite obviously at that. Who, who does he dedicate the song to? Joe.
0: Joe Bummer. Because <laughs> Joe was there that night.
2: Yeah, I thought that's so funny. I mean, just the way he says it. Oh, Joe me. thought
0: it was hilarious. Joe oh, okay. loved Johnny. Oh,
2: good. Okay, good.
0: We He's talked done. about it in the interview I did with, with Joe for our cover. Oh, nice. He, uh, he was on his way back from San Francisco because Give Him an Up rope by The Clash was mixed in San Francisco because they made it with Sandy Perlman the Blue Oyster Club. Right, right, right. And instead of just going back to London and Mick Jones and, and, and Joe, who were the only two who went, decided to make a pit stop in New York and hang out at CBGB's and Max's. Oh, nice. For all their... And they, you know, they knew the Heartbreakers from the Anarchy Tour, even though there was only a few shows that ended up being allowed to be played. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously made contact there and went to the show. So, you know, having... Johnny, you make fun of, you know, the English guys like that right in front of two of them is pretty amazing.
2: It's great. And and I still say I I like that. I think this is a superior song to New York. The Sex Pistols, New York. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I, love I find them song. both
0: equally <laughs> funny. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I mean yeah. give give Johnny Rotten some credit. I mean talking about a heroin addict saying, you know, with nothing in your gut, you better keep your mouth shut. Yeah. It's pretty freaking funny. <laughs> that
2: is good. It is good.
0: And, and you know, I I interviewed Johnny Thunders and or, or sorry, Johnny Rotten and we talked about that song. And he said, yeah, it's just black humor. We love the New York Dolls. Oh, you
2: know, okay, nice. All right, I actually love them. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. It
0: was a little bit of a cautionary tale, though. You know, yeah. Johnny Rotten, he was always going to lay it on the line, what he thought.
2: Yep, yep.
0: He thought it was a shame that their drugs were ruining this band. You know, and and by extension, his friend Sid Vicious having his life ruined.
2: Right. And I even, you know, I read when they were down, I think Mick Jones, didn't he? He played with Sid Vicious. Like in Sid, Sid's he most in certainly
0: did, yeah. I think you can hear that on the Sid Sings record. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm not certain. It was mostly like uh Jerry Nolan's band, The Idols, that was backing up Sid Vicious. So yeah, that's part of a piece. And that's another recording from uh Max's Kansas City. But in that case, the atmosphere can't help. Right. The singer had no talent, unfortunately, other than <laughs> just being a kind of walking train wreck.
1: Oh my god. Yeah,
2: I know that stuff is hard to uh it's hard to listen to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> other than my way, which has a strange Bizarre. I love, I will always bizarre. love, right? I will always yeah. love that. I will always
3: love that. And every highway helps more than this, I did my way.
0: It's kinda of like the you know, the dog had his day. Exactly. <laughs> In this very strange, funny way. Exactly. In front of, you know, this warhorse, horse um, and Frank Sinatra tune that had come from like France with French lyrics, you know, the whole thing is just one bizarre segment into the next.
2: It's beautiful though. His version is it's just like beautiful though, right? <laughs> yeah, to the
0: extent that he ever did anything that I ever thought that would be it. yeah. one's for Joe yeah. Bama.
2: All right, let's listen to London, London Boys. London.
0: <laughs> the New York response, <laughs> right? To the, to the London black humor. Although Walter said he really helped write that one. That was more or less his song, and he helped Johnny with it. Even though it ended up on Johnny's solo
2: album. Oh, okay. It because it, it it's clever. It's really clever. So <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, the Heartbreakers in '78 and '79 were doing half of what Johnny had put on his solo album too, because all they had was those two albums. Right, right, right. All they had was L.A.M.F. and a couple of non-LP things like I Can't Keep My Eyes on You and the Johnny Thunder solo record. And that was all they had to play for other than the covers they did. Like they were doing Great Big Kiss from the shangri laws Right. And they were doing, um, well, obviously Pills is <laughs> too much junkie business. And, and Pipeline, the old Chantez song, which they just knocked right out of the park. Yep. I think Seven Day yep. Weekend might have been a cover, too. Oh, okay. Can't remember, like Gary U.S. Bonds or something. But yeah, they weren't writing a ton of songs, and that one was a particularly funny one, and I'm glad that even though it was a Johnny Solo song, that the Heartbreakers did it, because I like their version way better.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's great. It's just great. Yeah,
0: anytime the Heartbreakers did something off of So Alone, I really liked it better. Oh, better right, band.
2: right. Yeah. Yeah and,
0: yeah. and Johnny had top-notch English musicians playing on that record. It's not that he had any slouches, you know, the guys from The Only Ones and Steve Jones and Paul Cook and to line out all those people but it's just the heartbreakers were there's heartbreakers.
2: something about the heartbreakers though right i mean yeah. it's, there's something about yeah like a being a, a, oh, a band of brothers and i forgot
0: I, I wanted to look this up while you were playing that but i i definitely asked walter about the ownership of chinese rock and i i wanted to get this right for your audience he said there was a verse in it that got uh, edited out that we never heard and I said, do you remember what it was? And he said, the last line was, and I found out I was happy to die. And Chinese rocks was the reason why. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I forgot what the first two lines were. Something with my bath. But it's 40 years since I heard the damn thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is God. talking three years ago.
2: The, the uh, lost verse.
0: And I so then I asked him about who really wrote it. And he said, well, Jerry and Johnny put their names on Dee Dee's song because, and this is according to Jerry, I wasn't there at the beginning when they did it. Jerry said he put in a Buddy Holly drum beat, which is totally possible with him because the Ramones drummer would never have come up with it, right. which I answered, no, certainly not Tommy Ramone. He's right about that. And right. Walter said, and then Jerry said that Johnny was the one who put the bridge in the middle, which I don't know whether is true or not. So anyway, everyone's name got to be on the song when really the main writer was Dee Dee.
1: Oh,
2: okay. Okay. It's funny. I was wondering about that bridge because that's the thing about the Heartbreaker songs. They're very simple and they don't always have bridges, but that song definitely has a bridge in it. So I was wondering about that. Sometimes
0: they would just do a lead break instead, which was a very Beatles via Chuck Berry. Yes. Kind of way to approach a song, or or Bo Deadly, sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All
2: right. So in this next one, so Jack, you're a baseball fan too, right? Mm-hmm. All right, because they're. Ta- I guess uh, when he's they're talking about the Yankees, and we love the Yankees. Yeah, 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 yeah. We love the Yankees anyway.
0: We won today again. Johnny was not a liar that way. He wouldn't lie about something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I guess you might lie about
0: what song he wrote.
2: And I guess Jack, I saw that the Yankees defeated the the Red Sox that day. They were they were playing that day, and they defeated the Red Sox that day. Uh, in, and that was uh, to increase their lead in the AL East.
0: Right, a good year to be a Yankee fan, nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, they ended
2: up winning. Uh, yeah, the World Series.
0: Right, they passed the Red Sox. Goddamn Yankees!
2: Take a chance. I heard, which I don't hear much, but I hear a um, Doctor Feelgood vibe in it a little. Which I know Doctor Feelgood influenced a lot of British bands. But I, I just, yeah, I don't in know. In fact,
0: I was just talking about that yesterday since the Gang of Four is on tour now. Yes. That uh, the guitar player for Dr. Fielga was a huge influence on Andy Gill. I think it's right. bloody obvious. And that kind of slashing uh, minimalist style that he had, Wilco Johnson. And and they were huge in Britain. They were the most exciting thing happening in Britain. Last yeah. Time.
2: Well, yeah. listen to this here and let me know if you hear maybe a little Dr. Feelgood. Uh Take a chance.
3: I'm a little darling but well, won't you take a chance with me I see you every night I go out I know you're lonely just like me Well, I've been thinking, baby No, that you should take a chance There's no sense in wasting time And let a blow up your mind
2: do you hear what i mean jack in the verses especially oh yeah i'm thinking walter lure heard she does it right by uh, dr Feelgood. well if there's something that i like it's the way that woman walk and if
3: there's something that better it's the wedgie baby thought
0: she did it I wouldn't think so, actually. I think you're right, but I think that you've gotten to the same place by a different destination.
2: Which happens, right, which which does happen, yeah, that's true.
0: I think the obvious answer here is that they both came at it from the same set of influences, which is, you know, the patron saint being Chuck Berry. Right, right, right. And bits and pieces of rockabilly, all those, you know, really simple monochord rockabilly songs you know, Eddie Cochran and um, um, uh, Carl Perkins and that kind of stuff. Right. And I, I hear some Bo Diddley and I hear the Yardbirds. Oh, okay. I, right. I think those are, you know, some prime influences there. You're probably right. Yeah, because I don't think Dr. Feelgood meant a goddamn thing in America. To right.
2: anyone in America, that...
0: Yeah, it's, it's like talking about the move or small faces to people here. Yeah. They're like, who? <laughs> Fans that had like 20 top 10 hits. Right, right, right. And Number ones and number twos up the wazoo. They couldn't sell a goddamn thing here. That's still so weird. Such brilliant fans, too. I think America was not ready to have you know our '50s and '60s music sold back to us in the '70s. Oh, right, 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 right. Britain was. Yeah, they were too late. <laughs> We'd had that all through the '60s. <laughs> oh, right, right. One after another, the entire British invasion was just American music with an English accent, <laughs> made louder and more powerful, and really exciting.
2: All right, so one track mind again. This is Richard Hell took it and what he made it uh, love comes um, in Spurs, love comes
0: spurts. Love comes in right? Yeah, okay. and that's another thing I talked to um, Mr. Lure about, uh, and he again had some very pointed things to say about Richard Hell being the jerk that he thought he was. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm going to look for that now while I'm talking to you, too. Okay. No, no. Well, the,
2: yeah, the, the, this is a great song, too. The words in it, uh, well, when I was born, I had to spit out a song. To live like I wish, I got to swim like a fish. So I made an illusion yeah. with an aid of delusion. I fixed up a track and I don't look back. I got a one track mind. It was
0: a great song about heroin, right?
2: Yeah.
0: I know. You know, a, a Double <laughs> meaning, which the ruts did later on um, love in vain when they sang, don't want you in my arms. No, more." No, right, 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 right. Yeah. So the, the heartbreakers first and then the ruts second with the yeah. same sort of, you know, double meaning there. But yeah. I, I, yeah. I found it. it's in, um, Issue 84 of Big Takeover, I said, Walter, what do you think of the Voidoids song um, uh, Love Comes in Spurts when you first heard it compared to yours, (laughs) which was only one track mine? Right. And Walter said, it was bull bleep. Ours was more rock and roll, and even Love Comes in Spurts was all effed up. Ah. He stole the music from me, and he tried to change it around by putting a few different chords over it, but it's basically the same song, and he didn't put my name on it, which is typical hell.
2: Right. <laughs> wow. So, okay. <laughs> so I said,
0: I totally agree with you, but didn't you do the same thing more or less when you put Bo Diddley's name on too much junkie business? Or did, did you put it?
2: Did you put it right? No, and he yeah.
0: said, no. And then we both laughed.
2: That's funny. All right. Well, said, somewhere. Bo said, but that
0: Johnny <laughs> stuck his name on it too.
2: Right. Right. And he had
0: nothing to do with writing it because originally I was going to use Chuck Berry's song too much monkey business as the chord structure yeah, but yeah. I had had written the lyrics ahead of time and didn't fit with that arrangement. So I said, "How about the dolls version of pills?" Oh, and geez. I changed the key from E to A. Wow,
2: <laughs> that's great! And I love how these guys well, would just throw each other's name, throw their names on shit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Of course he wasn't in a band with, you know, uh, Bo Diddley. Right, exactly. And I don't think Bo he, poor Bo Diddley. I think he I think he could have used the money from Love Comes in Spurs not, and Spurs. It's not and it's not the
2: first it's not the only thing that's been stolen from him and not credited to him. So Oh um, sure, right. yeah.
0: But it's always funny when people deny it and Walter clearly did not.
2: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. He was not he was smart enough for that. All right, let's just do one track. Which you all probably would, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Get, not to get back on the drug thing too much, but did you ever, like, you're you're a 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid, listening to these songs?
0: From the suburbs. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
2: hey, first of all, did your parents know what, <laughs> where you were, like, waiting for the second uh, heartbreaker
0: set? <laughs> um, it's funny you asked that, because I was going to gigs and saying I was staying at people's houses until one day my grandmother had a fall... Ended up in the hospital, and for some reason, I had to know this right away. I don't know why. What oh, right. About it. So, they, so called they called my me, friend Bob's oh, house, no. and they said we need to talk to Jack. And he goes, he's not here.
1: <laughs> I'm busted.
0: So the next day, when I got home, having crashed in Manhattan, they said, "Well, how was you know Bob's house?" And I was like, "Oh, it was fine." Oh boy. What yeah. were you doing? I was just hanging out. You know, what were you doing? I'm like, nothing really. And finally, they just, since they couldn't get anything out of me, that's funny. We called this house and they said you weren't there.
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: (laughs) And I go, I guess I wasn't. (laughs) Oh, boy. So after that, it was another story entirely. And uh, they ended up sending you a therapist because they figured I'd join some weird Mooney cult.
2: Really? That's wow. Like like a mini-there was something mentally
0: wrong with me. Kind of like a Lou Reed story. (laughs) Well, it was just therapy, and I agreed to go because I hated working for my dad, which is what I was doing, you know, hauling around 300-pound plants when I was 140 pounds oh, with people yeah. twice my size who had no problems, and I was like. Ugh.
2: So you said, therapy, but, okay.
0: Yeah, I'll go sit with the coffee in a nice plushy chair and talk about myself.
2: Oh, geez.
3: I think I like
0: that better than, you know, digging ditches for plants and stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Everything worked out. Everything worked. Unfortunately, out. I only went to like six sessions and the therapist said, I'm sorry, there's nothing mentally wrong about this kid at all. He doesn't need any therapy. He's perfectly fine. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he, he just wants he to just go likes to, he doing things go you don't approve kids, of. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, you know, he's, he's a high, high school senior and he's going to be leaving the house soon. He just is kind of ready to go now. And if you just keep pushing him out, he's just going to go sooner than later. So, uh, and then he turned to me after giving them, you know, that thing that they were doing a bad job with me and said, and Jack, you're a terrible family member. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> when your mother tells you to take out the trash, take out the damn trash.
2: Yeah, come on.
0: And I was like, well, yeah, but you know, they don't, they don't respect what I'm doing. They don't like what I do. They don't understand what I'm doing, you know? And, and uh, I want to go to Mexican city, hang out with bands and play in bands. And, you know, this is where I'm going with my life and He goes, right. yeah, I know, Says what you need to do is make up a contract with your parents. No more lying, no more of that stuff. And from now on, no more gigs on Wednesday Thursday. Yeah, right. At clear, least I'm at school. Going nights. to school <laughs> on two hours' leave. From now on, you can go on the weekends for these last four months of school. And, oh. Okay. And you can go anytime that you want. Just tell your parents where you're gonna be so that they know where you are and stuff. And then my mother says, Well, you know. I'm still worried. Okay. We'll sign this paper, you know, and and now I have to do chores around the house and have a better attitude and stop being a snide little jerk off. And I said, yes, I will do all those things. And I did them because I really wanted to go to gigs. Yeah, I I wanted to be in Manhattan.
1: Uh.
3: (laughs) And
0: she announced that she was going to my next gig with me and my cousin, Lorraine. I had, I had a cousin, long may she live. One of the greatest human beings in the world. She would go with these, with me to some of these gigs. And she was older than me, so she could be like kind of like my my guardian in a right. way. Right. So my mother came to see Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers with Cheetah Chrome and the Casualties. No. <laughs> uh, we lined up at about eight o'clock. My my I bought my mom a chair of some sort. I don't know how I managed that. Right. And she saw Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. This this family values, you know, uh, Eisenhower Republican. You know, suburban mom. What did she think? She thought it wasn't as bad as she feared. She thought right. it was going to be just like this wall-to-wall, you know, den of iniquity. Right. With people shooting up right in front of her. Oh, okay. Of and in the just bathroom.
2: A rock and roll, just a <laughs> rock and roll show.
0: Yeah. And she was just stunned that everyone knew me. Uh, yeah. You know, these, are not, these are not people <laughs> I was bringing back to Summit, you know, with crazy yeah. clothes and crazy color hair. And, you know, people in green and pink and blue hair in 79, it was pretty darn unusual to somebody in, in the suburbs. It was even unusual in Manhattan at that time. So, so she was a little taken aback by the fashions and the, the hair colors and all the rest, but they're all people just kept saying like, Hey Jack, you know, how you doing? Good to see you. What's up? Were you that, Jack, Jack Rabbit? Lady? Were you Jack Jackrabbit oh, yeah. then? Well, then I, sure, you were. I took okay. it in 1978. Oh, nice. So the second I got into punk, I knew I wanted to have that name because I thought it was so much fun. <laughs> Captain sensible, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: That's Gabies. Good for Uh, you though. You came up with some with something good.
2: A a good one that stuck too. So good
0: for you. Dennis Racket, you know.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, that's nice. That's nice (laughs) that your mom at least was open-minded enough to go check it out and see it. She didn't she didn't ask to go to any more Heartbreaker shows
0: afterwards. No, she did see one even worse gig. We did with the stimulators. (laughs) Oh, okay, nice. Because I basically dared my my mother and dad to come to see my band play. Right. My poor dad. It was the only time I ever saw him with two hands on a beer. He was so out of his element. (laughs) The guy who was confident in every social situation except for that one right. night at the, at the Tier Three Club down in down in Tribeca, legendary place, kind of like the Mud Club. Oh, nice! I think David Byrne was there that night too, so I was very excited. Wow! Look at <laughs> but he that. didn't stay. He was just there to see a friend. He had no interest in seeing our damn band. Right. No, not so, a big, well.
2: even worse fan, David Byrne. No. Oh, well. Or Stimulator. His loss. <laughs> yeah, if anything,
0: he would have been there to see them because they they packed the joint. Yeah. We went on our, yeah. first, our first gig. We played in front of like 325 people and there would have been more except it was sold out. Nice. Not bad. start, my first ever gig. Nope. In May the 2nd, 1980. Still in high school.
2: <laughs> All right, so I love this version of all by myself on here because the Walter Lorasor because they they mess up they have a false start and then Johnny I think that's Johnny says we're not the most professional yeah, band professional <laughs>
0: that wasn't the only time all I ever saw enough. them do okay. that so.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure all right let's listen to All by Myself. <laughs> The most professional man, the drama. We, just, we
1: picked them up this week.
3: <laughs> I don't want to talk too much. I just want to get to
0: Another great Walter Lur song. Yep. You know, people thought it was Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. It was just the Heartbreakers.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And Walter and Johnny were pretty much co-equals in the band, which I think we got lost over the years. Right. We certainly right. thought of them that way at the time.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, and they were great. Uh, just, I, I was watching some old videos of them, and they they were great. They, they like, played all, off, off each other really good. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah.
0: And uh, Jerry wrote songs, too. Yeah, it was quite quite a group effort, with the exception of Wrath, really. Right,
2: Wrath. Uh, right? <laughs> what what was the nickname for no. him again?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. You know, the next all right, time you, you this song, because I want to uh... get this exactly right. <laughs> all right, you That's get it right, exactly I'm, precise.
2: I'm gonna play the next one. Let go uh, really highlights the '50s uh, rock and roll influence uh, that he had. There oh is, yeah, this. remember
0: how much the girl groups influenced not only the Ramones but the New York Dolls before them? Yeah, yeah, before yeah, the Ramones
2: and they're, who they're, do you
0: think was you know covering you know uh, uh, out in the street it was the new york dolls
2: yep and and uh, they all had great taste because they're fantastic uh groups fantastic songs but uh let's mm-hmm. listen to let go oh every place I'm going to see your face
3: in a crowd in the parking lot or in the lounge we're standing on the corner with the rest of the kids my face what is it baby what is it?
0: I I did, but I just want to say again, listening to that, Johnny Thunders, nobody's idea of like a classic vocalist.
2: Right, right, right.
0: And yet the attitude, you know, had just enough talent and so much attitude. That's it. Yeah. That I ended up loving his vocals anyway. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Just, just and, him. And,
2: and and you know, I'd read I guess I'd read that he originally his whole like um, you know, uh dressing, you know, wearing a leather jacket and acting tough, it was a, it was because he was kind of shy and like insecure and he had to sort of make this uh, a persona. That's why he gave himself the name Johnny Thunders and that's kind of it's crazy when you think about it, but it also kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, although every time I met him he was high on heroin <laughs> and he was pretty full of himself.
1: OK, like, well, that's like what... one of the
0: even worse gigs we did. We were waiting to go on upstairs and he he was always there practically every night. It felt like Johnny. Right. He's often just sitting in with every band that would play, you know, if they knew any heartbreakers songs <laughs> and stuff. But um, he came up to me and he said, like, you don't know who I am. And I said, you're right. I have no idea who you are except the fact that I own every one of your albums and I've seen you play about 15 times. But <laughs> apart from that, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> who are you anyway? And that was just such a quintessential Johnny Thunder's moment, kind of like, you know, trying to be the big shot. Yeah, but he was right. the big shot. He didn't have to act like it. Right. We were all right. just completely floored that we were standing you know, having a beer with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Who didn't know us from adam except that we were dressed in punk rock clothes
2: right exactly so
0: he probably recognized us as his children you know
1: yeah
0: <laughs> his, his spiritual offspring uh, in a way i think he said that because he was like i gave you this life and you have no idea who i am right and we right, were right. thinking oh my god there's the guy that we love so much yeah the reason we're doing this yeah okay well i found it for you since you asked billy Rath. good he said um Billy had these great eyeballs. If he had half a brain behind them, he would have used them to take great pictures and stare at the audience. But Billy was a speed freak when he joined. He was living in Florida, ahem, and some guy in New York knew him and got him to come up for the audition. He was a great bass player, but he was just like, hi, Walter. I called him Dimwit. Oh, jeez. He didn't really do too much school. He'd ask stupid questions sometimes. The best part is that he was exactly what the band needed when he joined because we didn't need another star personality like Richard Hell. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Richard thought he was. Right. Because then there would be fights over who would sing and write the music and stuff like that. Right. So <laughs> Billy was perfect. He fit right in. He played great bass and he could sing back up if need be, but he wasn't going to be an antagonist.
2: Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's great though. That That is, it's like mean. It's a little mean, but it's. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, that, those guys, they never sugarcoated much, did they? <laughs>
2: Right, I know. Right. Well, the, the rest New of the interview kept calling him Dimwit. <laughs> the New Yorkers. What do you want?
0: Yeah, oh, but I should mention these these interviews I'm quoting from are from issues eighty three and eighty four, Big Takeover. So they're just three years ago. And. In- if people want them, they can order them from us because it was a really fun interview.
2: Oh yeah, it always. I mean, whenever I, I talk to you, and then you go, oh yeah, when I interviewed him, I interviewed, it's like you get you get to interview all your heroes. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, because it's fun. It is fun.
2: <laughs> all right, so listen. to, We got a, a typical Johnny Thunders uh, rock and love song. Let's listen to "I Love You."
3: As I I love you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Typical little sappy love song there. Right, 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 right. Although my remembrance of that is like when they would cover Great Big Kiss, which is, you know, the Shangri-La's really sappy love song for an otherwise tough set of Queens girls. Right. Um, they used to change that bit, you know, like, you know, what color was her eyes or whatever, what color was her hair or whatever. Yeah. They'd say what color was her pubic hair. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, they would they had this weird X-rated way. Of singing even sappy love songs though I thought was really funny being a teenager.
2: Oh yeah, right. Well speaking of that, the next song, Can't
0: Keep My Eyes on You Exactly
2: What are they this oh, one's God. called <laughs>
0: Are you actually allowed to play this on your show? That introduction, yes, yes,
2: we can. Can't keep my cock in your face. Uh, but the... Yeah,
0: that's Walter. <laughs> Walter is
2: Yep. But this is a little
0: if you were there it was funny. Yeah, no, I It mean, wasn't always that's, so that's funny on the record. And, and... I guess so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, let's listen to it. I can't keep my... It's funny. It's it's a really simple song, and I notice Richard Hell. Why the hell does Richard Hell have a co-write on this one too? It says Lure, Nolan and Hell. So I guess maybe he was involved. Well,
0: he obviously was a good songwriter as he turned out. Mr. Yes. Oh, yeah. The no. ones he didn't steal from Walter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or take from a fifties uh, song that most people didn't know. You know, I, I belong to the um, beat generation. A lot of people don't know or how much he, he took from that one. He was a hit, in the He turned it into, I belong to the bank generation. I, I've played that original version of that on my show from, you know, 20 years before Richard's song. Oh,
2: nice. So,
0: my two favorite Richard Hell songs were nods to someone else's, but he's still a good songwriter. Really.
2: Yeah. And and he was more, I guess they, I don't know who it was who said it, but they said he was more of a poet guy, like into poetry and stuff. Yeah.
0: He so. was into the lyrics for sure. But, yeah. Right. You know, obviously, he was a good bass player and he could write a tune as well. They all could. Right. That song sounds to me yet like another Bo Diddley cop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Kind of like what the New York Dolls were doing, not only when their cover of Pills, but also stuff like Push and Boots that had that that kind of like um, Roadrunner slash Pills kind of uh, Bo Diddley cadence to it. And uh,
2: do you think the first line, I saw you standing there, do you think that could have been a little nod to the Beatles, a little homage to the Beatles?
0: Yeah, maybe. maybe. But in the same kind of simplistic love song kind of thing that they'd grown up with. You know, like Walter told me that he was a regular at the Fillmore East all through the early 70s. Just even if he didn't know what band was playing, he'd take the subway down there a ticket for three dollars and go in and watch you know even like the grateful dead or whatever he was just doing every drug yeah. in sight other than other than heroin
2: that sounds kind of like a young uh, jack rabbit <laughs> well
0: yeah except except uh, for me i was seeing stuff that was not well known nationally right right, right. Uh, whereas bill graham was booking you know like gigs with the kinks and miles davis opening you know? <laughs> right <laughs> i wish i wish i had been older and i could have seen those gigs i, I would have liked to have seen you know, Jimi Hendrix do two sets, or the Who debut Tommy, or whatever. But I right. wasn't old enough. Yeah. I was born during the Kennedy years, not the Eisenhower years. Yep. No, me, me so, too. Same. But yeah, yeah, they they had a real steeping in rock's history, and they were big rock fans. I mean, Johnny Thunder was a kink song, after all. Jo- sure oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm sure Johnny so- knew that. Although I don't think that actually it's is where song. he got his name. I'm sure it kind of ranks in Dallas with him. Right. Uh, you know how do you get from being johnny gonzale from queens you know johnny thunder (laughs) You you, you take in some of the mystique of other bands right that were playing around and before he was in the new york dolls him and sylvain those guys they were seeing tons of shows and they got into it man you know yep they were complete students
2: Yep, they were. But the Beatles,
0: the Beatles could play every 50s song that was ever, ever any good. Right, it's the same thing.
2: Right, but at the end of the day, Johnny just wants to be loved. says, I, so, I, uh, I
3: want to be loved. I want you, three, three loved. <laughs>
2: this one and then we're going to play the last song they, they do a cover at the end it sounds like they're kicking into a like a third gear or fourth gear in these last two songs like it's it doesn't sound like they're running out of gas at all
0: oh no and and there were other you know remember these were recorded at several shows so they weren't just presenting you know live at max's as one concert oh okay okay you know, like like the ramones at the rainbow for that uh, um a live album they did. It's a live album. You know, oh, I love that. that's yeah. still that's it's,
2: probably one of my all-time favorite. Albums.
0: And I, I was thinking about the Ramones when you played that song just now because just look at the one two three four that starts that song with Johnny Yep. He
3: doesn't
0: he doesn't do like you know the, the Ramones You know the Ramones just were the most exciting band I'd seen at that time just for the sound. Right. Not for anything they did on stage or any of their attitude or anything, just the sound of what they were playing would just hit me in the gut. And so I saw the Ramones like six or seven times. And just was just in love with that sound. But I always thought they were kind of mooks, you know? It, it turned out that when I finally met Joey a few times, I realized there was a lot more to him than that, that he was a really cool and interesting and, and sweet guy.
2: Oh, nice, nice. And
0: Dee was just this guileless funny like numb nuts basically like hey what you doing I know. Hey,
3: cool.
2: you, I, hang I, out? you know that's the thing i i i feel bad that dd gets this rap as like being some kind of moron or an idiot and,
0: and he, he was be. he just sounded like he one. was <laughs> right he
2: sounded totally like one but no one could write that many great songs yeah. and everything Plus and he not was be uber friendly.
0: he was the guy in the band everyone wanted to hang out with yeah fans yeah. and other members because he was so guileless and friendly right but the the this is the thing when the new york or the heartbreakers counted out a sound one two three four they haven't even hit the first note yet and you are like yeah yeah yeah
2: right right
0: (laughs) oh man (laughs) lay it on me jesus yep my my heart's already racing before they even hit the first (laughs) time that was that was johnny and his band and the whole band to a t they just they would up my excitement level, just their attitude, just the way they would be like these like devil may care. I don't give a, you know, toss, uh, you know, we're just like hanging out here kind of guys. But when they launched in a song, it would just be like, so gripping. The clash were the only other band I saw at that time that were that gripping on stage. Oh, okay. And then eventually the bad brains when I finally saw them starting in 79, those, those bands had everything going for them visually as well as, uh, orally so you just never wanted to miss a class show in 79 or 80 until they changed so much and you never wanted to miss a bad brain show up through 82 when they started changing so much but the heartbreakers had the best attitude pure rock and roll attitude i ever saw just being like you know like what people saw in the replacements later this they don't seem to care they don't give a flying f you know they never rehearse right right. out of it we don't (laughs) rehearse how could they be so freaking brilliant when they never even rehearsed? They were just that good.
2: It's just yeah, yeah, and, and it comes across and that's why the the live album is like the the best yeah. way for me. It's the best way to hear it cuz it's like yeah. you yeah. And they don't even have like their real the, drummer. It's uh, right. It's freaking
0: nuts. <laughs> And it the drummer had quit. Matter. The band broke oh. up. You know, they came back for some money. The drummer wasn't interested. Like, yeah. screw you guys! Already quit your damn band. Right. Well, well, just get some other guy to play. Yeah. And he doesn't even come in right on. Uh, what was it? Uh, All by myself, right. right? So they have to start the song <laughs> over yet. Remind everybody they just picked him up last week, and it's still a stunningly great live album. And they were even better with Jerry Nolan. I, I understand, my friend Tim Sommer. Well, he says he doesn't like Live at Max because it doesn't have Jerry Nolan and he was yeah. such a key guy in the band. And I'm saying I'm not arguing with you. He most certainly was. This album is incredible anyway. It is. It and is. that, that tells you how good this band was. Like you just plug some guy in there, seemingly keeping the beat, but doing so well, really yeah. kicking the band. Oh it.
2: yeah. No slouch at all. No slouch. He's and they were slouch.
0: just rocking. You know, I never saw Tie Sticks do anything else. Oh, yeah, I was wondering that. I
2: was wondering that. But, hey, he's on this. This this was the
0: right band for him to be sitting in with, basically. Not as fluid as Jerry Nolan, but good. Oh, I want to say one other thing, if I can, too, is that a year later, if they opened the curtain and looked out, they would have seen seven people from Summit, New Jersey, in the first row. We were we were like the Bromley contingent.
2: Oh, really? Oh, okay. So you had you brought other people into your madness? Well, I was
0: I was brought along by my friend Dave Stein and his friend, who was kind of the Pied Piper, Jeff Hutchinson. They insisted I get into this like David Bowie thing they were doing. And then together we started reading about Bowie. And then we got into Eno and Iggy Pop and Lou Reed from Bowie. And then we heard that this was like happening right now, this punk rock thing that they were all the godfathers of. And the New York Dolls. So then we bought some New York Dolls recordings and we were off to the races from there. So every every Heartbreakers gig, we would stay for both sets. So they play one show on Thursday, two on Friday, and two on Saturday. So we'd see five Heartbreakers That's shows. That's
2: crazy. That's insane to me. And so how old were these other guys? Were they like the same age as you? Were same, they age, older? Same, same, same age. Exact same
0: age. Oh all God, all God. high school seniors by the time we saw these gigs. Well, when I saw the Talking Heads in XTC, I was still in 11th grade. But this is how we... This is how we spent our senior year was seeing Heartbreakers and The Clash and The Dead Boys and The Damned and, you know, everybody else. Be honest,
2: with, be honest with me now, Jack. Your your son's 16, 17 years old. He wants to go into New York City to just go in and, and stay out all 19 bands. Is that okay? Are, are you cool with no, that? I'll send
0: him to the therapist, man. Are you kidding
2: me? <laughs> and then give him a yours contra- contract. <laughs> so here's,
0: here's the problem. I'll be like my mom is I'll want to go. You'll want to go, yeah. And unlike fair. my mom who sat with her back to the DJ booth at Max's Kansas City all night, just kind of like leering around at what with this crazy thing her youngest son is her youngest child before had gotten himself into. Right. I'd be like in the front row with my son going like, Yeah, I hope they play this other song, you know?
2: Well, I always tell parents that with younger kids, kids be, be careful because kids are always gonna find some way to rebel. So if he can't rebel with music, he'll find some other Rebel. or maybe the music he listens to. Maybe he'll get into yeah. like a Barry Manilow or something. You know, well, my Just hero there is you.
0: Joey Keithley of DOA because he had kids much younger than I did, and he raised three of the best kids I've ever met. And if you're the son of Joey, you know, can I, yeah. can I can I say Joey <laughs> yeah, shithead? Joey shithead,
2: yeah. Then
0: you know, a, his daughter Georgia, who's named after the Georgia Straits, she was a, kind of like a little bit of a goth girl for a while and uh trying to be her own thing apart from right, her right 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 and we, my wife said exact that to her she said it must be very hard to be rebellious yeah and yeah right it's true leading <laughs> doa to this day and she goes like i have my ways right right <laughs> Dude, they and she, she's, she's she's tremendous that's and great their son jake stayed with us for like eight months and couldn't have been a better house guest really looking, looking for ways to like hook up our wi-fi and stuff and that was new oh um, nice <laughs> So I think it is possible. You know, I think more or less I'll be less looking askance at things that my son does as long as they're not, you know, too dangerous. Right, right. My parents kind of had to take my word for it that I was knowing what I was doing because I was a high school senior. I was leaving the house soon. They were not going to have any say anymore in what I was going to do. And that was what I was going to do. I, right. I did go to Lafayette College for nine months, but even then I was taking a bus to Manhattan pretty much every freaking weekend, <laughs> and then I just gave up and moved there and transferred to NYU. So,
2: but everything turned out fine. You you were a good kid, and everything turned out fine. I think my mom
0: likes me all right. She's yeah. gonna do ninety. <laughs> all
2: right, let's listen. Let's play the final song already. Uh, the closing track. Do you love me? You broke my heart. Cause I couldn't dance.
3: You didn't even want me to rest. But now I'm back, so if you know I can really check a bath
2: so great so so great
0: just fantastic yeah it is and uh again you know proof of their bona fides as being 50s and 60s rock fans you know that was a hit in like 1962 so they were really young when that came out right and it was written by barry gordy yep barry gordy wanted to give that song to the temptations who weren't famous yet but he didn't think their vocals were right for it so they gave it Contours. Who uh, hadn't had any hits with their first couple of records, so it saved their career briefly.
3: <laughs> okay. But there
0: you go. The, I didn't know any of that when I was watching Heartbreakers play it. To me, it was just an oldies song I'd heard on the radio. Right, you know. right,
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: I, after that, I could never listen to the Contours version again. It sounded so wimpy.
2: No, oh, I know, I know, it's true.
0: And it's a really good version too.
2: One other thing I wanted to ask you, which I've always wanted I've always wanted to ask you, when you go out to these shows, and you've been going to these shows for the past forty years. Do you wear, do you put anything on your ears? Do you wear earplugs or have you ever worn earplugs at shows?
0: Uh, when Husker Do, Motorhead, My Buddy Valentine. Oh, Jesus. Replacements. There's about six or seven bands I've been forced to wear headphones. Oh, for, here, okay. Okay. It's okay. just, you, you'll, you'll leave. You'll have to <laughs> leave. I, I left a Motorhead show. Really? I only saw them twice and I gave up. Because <laughs> I, I saw them with the Blizzard of Oz, Ozzy Osbourne's Bandit. Palladium, and that was such a big place that it was vaguely tolerable, the right. volume, plus they only played 40 minutes because of the opening act, but a few days later, they op- they did a headline show at Irving Closet, and I was in the front row, and you know, they came out to The Good and the Bad and the Ugly, what a great, speaking of intro themes, yeah, right. <laughs> fantastic intro theme, but they like opened with like Bomber or something, one of my favorite songs, and they... I was so blown away by the volume, I had to go back to like the 10th row. <laughs> And then the second song, I think, it was like "We Are the Road Crew," and I was like in the 25th row. Oh
2: God! You just they, they drove you out.
0: <laughs> I I lasted like three and a half songs, and then I was on 15th Street. I said I can't take this. Wow! <laughs> even with even with earplugs, some bands we were so screamingly loud. My buddy the time without earplugs sounds to me like something we should do to like you know work on a war
1: criminal. Right. A <laughs>
0: Here, you're going to be in the third row for this and they're going to play, you know, 19 minutes of the same chord at the end of you, maybe realize at a blistering volume. And you're right, just right, right, right. And, and <laughs> renounce your sins.
2: Okay, well, that's good. I was wondering that. So that's how you are. Well, still, no, I don't. I
0: don't your- actually. I don't wear them when I play drums either. I'm amazed I can hear what my kids say to me.
2: Yeah, I know. I I've, I've never I never the whole time I played in bands and stuff and I played in some loud bands, too. I never I never were. And my hearing's still still pretty good, too. I mean, mm. it's good. So rehearsals,
0: uh, man. That's where you could lose your hearing. Well, yeah, we used to rehearse. I swear we'd
2: rehearse louder than we'd even play live. We'd rehearse louder right? because right?
0: it's smaller room. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm very um, fortunate. I think a lot of it is because I stopped playing music in the house really loud when I was like 27, 28, I oh, played right. with a very acceptable <laughs> volume. And I never used headphones. Headphones really damage people's ears. I, me
2: neither, yeah. I th- I, yeah, that's true. I, I don't use headphones. I, I still listen to, in my car, I still listen to music really loud, but that's all right.
0: Sometimes you have to hear over the motor, although not so much these days.
2: Exactly. All right, Jack, so... Uh... Uh, like I said, everyone, a Big Takeover, you can go to BigTakeover.com if you want to uh, get back issues or subscribe. I would definitely uh, recommend it. I have a feeling a lot of people listening to the show are already subscribers and have been for years. Uh, but don't forget, he's uh, you got the show, uh, the Big Takeover show is on RealPunkRadio.com every Monday. And then it's also archived on the BigTakeover.com Site, uh, the episodes are archived and I really recommend listening to them because they're always great. Even you could fast forward past Jack's singing at the beginning if you want, and then just yes, listens. please do
0: <laughs> spare yourself.
2: But I still, I still <laughs> hear
0: back, new, ye, faint heart. I still hear
2: new stuff though, Jack. You play, uh, you, you play stuff that I've never heard before, and it's and it's great. I appreciate it. I that.
0: do challenge myself by playing 30 songs every week that I've never played before, that that forces me to constantly go away from the tried and true and favorite stuff and right. go, uh, darker corners of my record collection it's fun that way right and can i say thank you to you rob yeah thank, thank you very much for having me on this has been a blast to recount some of this stuff no question
2: yeah it's great it's a great record and i had fun all week uh listening to it and blasting it in my car i really did
0: what a marvelous host you are too by the oh, way well thank you so much
2: all right so don't forget guys on instagram and facebook it's at that record got me high. also that facebook group got me high if you are so inclined on uh, twitter it's at trgmh podcast uh you can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com and if you want to go to patreon.com uh forward slash trgmh you become a patron of the show uh i'd also like i said definitely i can't uh, recommend more listening to the big takeover show and if you like it, become a patron of jack's because he's been doing this for 40 goddamn years and he's still doing it and he, you're amazing Jack. 42 Huh? Forty-two years. <laughs> <It's> counting. <laughs> Crazy. You're, it's amazing, and uh, still, still listening to, still seeking out new music, listening to new music, and uh, so thanks again for being on the show, Jack. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll see you guys. Thanks to you, Rob. Ah, you're welcome.
0: And thanks, thanks to those friends of mine from Summit I mentioned, uh, uh, Dave, Stein, and Jeff and. Dave Hutchinson and Janet Whitehouse and those people because I wouldn't be doing this without them Really, and hearing this record remind me of that wow,
3: that's,
0: no that's other great. record reminds me of that like this one Yeah, of how lucky I am in the way. yeah
2: that's awesome that's great and, and uh, they're all with us still they're all still with us too this great
0: not this time unfortunately he died in 2014 oh, speaking all right. of drug problems but you know, all the rest of them are thankfully still with us here
2: Well, cheers to all of you, and cheers to you, Jack, and we'll see you guys next week. We are out of here.